welcome to Disney Animated Cannonball. I'm Talon, he, him. I'm Fox, she, her. I'm a Disney fan. I'm a media studies nerd. And uh, we're going to watch a lot of cartoons. Yeah. Uh, And this time around we have 1942's Bambi. You want to see some cute baby animals do cute baby animal things? I kind of would like to do that. Great, because that's all that's in this movie. Really? Did I skip them? Oh, a tragic parental death. I'm just saying the animals in this movie weren't that cute. <laughs> oh, stone cold, Talon. Yep. You don't like adorable, naive little children animals? Oh, we got some stuff to say about the way that animals and children are represented in this. <laughs> all sorts of problematic overlaps there, but... Well, do you want to do the plot summary this time, or shall I? <sighs> I think it was my turn last time, but I'm going to do it again this time. Are we taking turns? <laughs> All right, ready, go! Uh, a deer is born. A deer meets some other animals. The deer's mother dies. The deer has a conversation with its father. The deer has baby deer and becomes an absentee father, just like his father before him. <laughs> the movie ends, nothing matters. You glossed over the sex, Talon. The hot, hot deer sex. I did. I, I in fact, glossed right over all the instances of animals fucking in this movie and boy is there a lot of off-screen fucking that's how animals do sweetheart yeah okay so very first thing we have to talk about is the product of its time hang on the very first thing we have to talk about is background had you actually seen this one i thought that i had not uh this one is falling into the same category of the other disney movies where i thought i mustn't have seen all of it um (laughs) And There's the, got to be more to it than this. The thing is, I think um, I think this one was designed in such a way that it was easy enough to be cut up and put on other um, Disney compilation videos that you could rent. Oh yeah, God. This is, for all the ones that are actually like a single feature length movie mm. story, this one is so very much more like a series of vignettes, really. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure I had seen all of the bits of this movie separated out from one another. Ah. Oh, yeah. And out of order. They did like to feature various segments of it on specials, because, like, it's got some really pretty animation. Yeah, and, I mean, that's... it. Yeah, it's got a lot of really well-detailed animal animation, <laughs> coupled with a lot of really well-detailed cartoon animal animation. Like, Bambi, Bambi does look like a deer. Thumper looks like a cartoon rabbit. Yeah, it's some extremely Preston Blair animal designs, which, you know, he's regarded of a master of his craft and as a master of his craft and all that, but um, I, I'm i not a huge fan of his style, let's say that. I can only handle so many big cheeks and giant foreheads. And following on from that, uh, the of its time category stuff. Now, <laughs> Ooh, yeah. there's some there's some stuff in that that I want to talk about more in depth when we get later to like the ethical values and frameworks of this movie. Okay. Um, but I didn't actually see anything that was particularly yikesy. Just some stuff that was kind of accidentally in <laughs> reverse on yikesy. It's yeah, it's less yikesy than a lot of them. Uh, in the like, obviously, there's no human characters. Mm. Um, so there's no obvious racial bear traps. Uh, but they also did not seem to go out of their way to racially code any of the animal characters. Uh, not that they've done that before. <coughs> uh, so there's there's just there's not not nearly as many yikes as there's definitely some yikes inherent in trying to apply 
a story which is just basically the life cycle of an animal, like a nature documentary, and then put human personalities into it. Because, mm. like, women are nothing in this movie. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I mean, what can you say? They're not really characters. Feline gets a name, but she's not a person. No. Bambi's mother is a, is a, a lamp. She's nothing. Yeah, she's an angel and his father is a god. Yeah, um, which is very much of its time, like the vision of parent. Like, this is literally the time of the, uh, uh, before Father Knows Best, when the idea of, well, let's make a, a TV series about just how dad's always right, that was <laughs> on the horizon. Yeah, there's, we'll talk about this more later as well, because there's some imagery I noticed on this watch through mm. uh, that I didn't pick up in previous instances. I saw this... When I, I think I may have seen this in a theatre when I was too young to remember it, uh, but I know I had a cassette tape of the soundtrack. Uh So I know the soundtrack a lot better than I know the movie, and that's a, the soundtrack of this is a weird-ass listen for a six-year-old, like, none of this is kids' music. And none of it's gonna make you go, oh, Bambi. (laughs) But, I mean, I didn't know it was from Bambi, but I, like, so I must have seen it at some point. Anyway, I've seen it a couple of times since then, but... Mostly, I remember this by really distinctive music that is in no way remotely as catching or well-known as most of the Disney music oeuvre, but is very cemented in my brain. I looked up the lyrics to three of the songs in this. Oh, so you actually know the lyrics to the the apocalyptic love song? They've already flipped through my head. (laughs) But the thing that I find fascinating, and this is accidental in hindsight, uh, all three of the ones I looked up had the word gay in them somewhere. It's very of its time. Incredibly of its time. And we're not even going to award that a yikes, that's just that's, language. Yeah. Uh, and you get kind of an un-yikes for flower. Flower is a fascinating little drop of weirdness. Yeah, because at the time I think there is there is uh, a certain childish gentleness to what they treat flower with. Like, when flower is meant to be a little kid, it's like, well, yeah, some kids are just soft little weirdos like that. Yeah, Whereas, it's not especially weird when he was a kid, but the fact that he still does it when he's a grown-up. Yeah. You would expect to see that be made fun of, or see him, like, yeah. singled out as the weird one of the group or something, but um, he's just... And they make it clear, he's, he's not flower. gay. Even, oh, so, no, no one's, no one's gay, everyone even, fucks girls. Well, I mean, even though Flower's partner looks exactly like Flower. <laughs> no, he has a black outline around the stripes in his tail, and hers is white all the way to the edge. Yeah. That's how you know, Talon. The point is that Flower comes across now between both affect and demeanour. <coughs> Uh, between affect and demeanor as being kind of genderqueer or gender fluid. Totally or some kind of queer. Some variety of queer and uh, a, a a weird kind of gentle monster because often queer traits get projected onto monstrous characters because we, t- we because especially thinks of the Hayes Code, queerness was associated with terrible statuses uh, yeah, and being yeah, yeah, horrible. Yeah. Uh, so in, in a way, like a skunk, that's a horrible monster in the context of a minimum stakes fuzzy animals are nice to one another and kind they of they don't do anything with it which is quite odd i they was expecting at least one fart joke they don't do anything with anything i mean not an actual fart joke but like something that could be interpreted as a fart-ish joke like just a skunk's a stinky joke i can think of one thing in this movie aside from like the central core of bambi stuff that is an animal's state as the animal it is being brought to bear on the stuff it's doing, which is the owl doing the head pivot trick when it's doing the Twitter painted spe- speech. Everything else, Flower could have been a badger. Um, Thumper could have been a chipmunk. Not much changes for these animals. I mean, there's a lot of slapsticky animal behavior stuff, but yeah. <clears throat> none of it would I 
qualify as joke, really. The humor on the, in this movie is on a different wavelength mm-hmm. to to me, I must say. I assume it's it's just, like, I assume that's a product of its time, thinking that it's just too old to connect to me that way. Possibly. Now, do you want to talk about some technical stuff? Uh, that's right. We categorize these things normally, don't yeah. we? Yeah. It's been a couple of weeks since we've done one of these. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, because I have, I actually have some technical stuff here, uh, and mine has research and citations, so... so. Ah, well, I'm gonna be outdone. I mean, that, that's unusual, normally it's me who's carrying on about this stuff. You wanna mm-hmm. tell me things that you noticed? Um, okay, it's really bad. <laughs> um, I, I don't think that's fair. I, I mean, I don't, I, well, okay, here's the thing. I think it is very fair to say this movie is really badly constructed, but I also think that the research I did puts that into meaningful context. Oh, like plot structure. Okay, plot you just said structure. it's bad as a technical thing. <laughs> There's a lot of technically impressive stuff in here. It's very hard to state this without like having my own feelings about how this movie may feel <laughs> kick in. Because if it was just going to be that, I'd say, it's really bad and boring, but... Well, that's not for technical section, <laughs> that's for later. I mean, I mean, you know... We, we do have some degree of the science of viewer <laughs> attention, and in media studies, this is a thing we study. We are we are good at this. I feel like science of viewer attention may have been remarkably different in 1942. Though. And that's the thing I wanted to go into. Um, uh, there's a range of techniques in the editing and cinematography of this movie that are generally signs of like higher education making movies. Uh, this is the dawn of the talkie era in a lot of ways, and this means that the first peop- this is the first wave of of when uh, theater and stage production people started getting involved in movies because prior to this point, movies had to be constructed with a whole different set of skills. Um, like you, you've seen early silent films, like where you have flicker of film, black card oh, with sure. the- yeah, yeah, I've seen silent movies, yeah, yeah, and those invariably have to have it so that the expressiveness of a character is told through movement and costume and a whole bunch of different stuff in a really exaggerated way. I mean, we're back to the panto discussion that we had from Snow White. Yeah, exactly, and, and because this is early on in the history of the talkie era, you have a really like new crowd of visual storytellers coming at it from a theatre background. Um, And what that means is that there's a lot of stuff that we now take for granted as being part of making movies. Uh, If you don't mind me cutting in. Yeah. Uh, I'm classing this one, you remember back in Snow White as well, I said it's uh, shot and paced and everything like a ballet. Yeah. Not even like a stage play, but like a ballet. That's that's Bambi as well. Like Mm. so much of this is orchestration with music. Yeah. And, like, it's not a musical. There are no song yeah. numbers performed by characters. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that feeds directly into what you're observing here as well. Yeah. And so, as far as techniques for basically making movies goes, um, at the risk of being an incredibly boring asshole and bringing it up, <laughs> uh, Citizen Kane oh, yes. was one year before this movie. Oh, it's older than I thought. Uh, yeah. Um, but the point is that as far as a whole bunch of cinema techniques and uses of camera and stuff that you now think of as being just inherently obvious to filmmaking, <laughs> like the first exterior interior shots, that was in a movie that came out while this movie was probably 
already in storyboarding and animation. So, like, holding this movie to, to uh, a standard that says, hey, the editing was really bad compared to things made 40 years later. It's like, well, yeah, because they hadn't developed those techniques yet. It is. There's scenes where they have, like, a really nice transition between two... I mean, once again, it's like a series of vignettes. But in some cases, we have a really nice transition. And in some cases, we just have a... Like a hard cut to a totally different tone. Yeah. Uh, And that's not always a bad thing, but sometimes it's a bit jarring. Uh, Bambi's mum's death goes straight into... Straight into the spring song? Yeah. Like, yikes. Um, And similarly, there's a point where uh, the bird's song just cuts out. (laughs) Like, there's a song, and it just goes, last word of the song, beat of music, dead quiet for a heartbeat. It was really weird. I'm trying to remember which song you're talking about. Uh, It's before Bambi's mum dies. And that's when we looked at one another. Did they miss a bit of the movie? Did they skip something? Uh, but um, as for other technical context, um, the concept known as the Kuleshov effect, uh, which is something that like scientists have proven probably doesn't exist, but like storytellers can very much grappled with. Um, that's where the juxtaposition of two images creates narrative as your brain explains it. Oh, sure. You so- show a person two things. Especially in sequence, they are inferred to be. Re- yeah, you show you show a shot of the, the famous example is Kuleshov would make a shot of an actor and just his face, and then show a shot of a plate being put on a table, and then a different crowd would show a shot of the, the of an actor, and then show a shot of some kids playing on the beach. And in one of them, it's like, oh, he's sitting down to eat, and the other one, oh, he's reminiscing about children. Um, and the thing, it's the same shot. So the Kuleshov yeah. effect is. Basically, yeah, the, the way that editing creates narrative. Two images become a story. How about that? Uh, and the Kuleshov effect was first being taught in 1929 in the USSR. So the technique hadn't pick, been picked up. In I never widespread. would have guessed from the name. Yeah. And, and the point is that at the 1930s to 1940s, America and the USSR weren't doing a lot of swapping notes Observed. on films. <clears throat> um, so that just, it took a long time for that concept to escape the USSR and it became more popular in the 40s and the 50s in America. Sorry, the 50s and 60s. Well, I don't feel like Disney is missing that concept here. Not really, but they also don't use a lot of anything like it. Um, there's there's not a lot of still shots or, or, or low emphasis shots in this anyway. I'm just trying to talk about like no. general use of common cinema language. Um, and the other thing is the story structure, uh, which I would, you know, I absolutely would love to to go in on at some point later. And maybe we'll do that <laughs> around the link. Um, but the... I thought you meant later in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> but... Um, I mean, we can talk about that. It's just that that probably makes up the bulk of the discussion rather than being a technical note. Oh, no, we're going to talk about Kings. Um, the the idea of the three-act structure as the director of um, Empire Strikes Back phrased it is in Act 1, you put your character in a tree. Act 2, you set the tree on fire. Act 3, you get them out of it. <laughs> and that idea owes a lot of its... Um, roots to filmmakers who studied the 40s era of films, codifying stuff along with an academic book called The Hero of a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell. Okay, but hear me out. Yeah? What if the tree is being alive? <laughs> I'm not saying Bambi has a three-act structure. Yeah, it, it Bambi has... is a nature documentary in yeah. the form of an animated movie. Uh, and the main thing here is I just want to make it known that um, The Hero of a Thousand Faces isn't out yet. This book is seven. This movie is seven. Oh, when this is made, (laughs) this book is seven years old. Sorry, this movie is seven years older than the book that we often consider as like sit finally sitting down and codifying the rules for three for for conventional. Baby's first narrative design text. Yeah, 
and and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying Hero of the Thousand Faces is a is a great text to work from, but the fact that it isn't hasn't been codified yet, and you still have a lot of people <laughs> trying thousands of things means yeah, this movie's weird. I mean, that's the point of it. It's not the it, it's not an advanced text. <laughs> That's why it has value in this discussion. It's an incredibly basic text, and mm. even it isn't around. And this means that um, while my initial joking reaction was, this is bad, I think a better way to say it is Bambi is alien. That's fair. And I think that's why I still kind of respect it, despite the fact that I don't enjoy the story or like the characters or... It's not when you bang on for fun. No, but it's uh, it's definitely got the Disney art film uh, aspect to it. Yeah. And the willingness to make something that is, as you say, pretty alien. And, like, it's a departure from earlier stuff as well. Like, uh, well, I guess the last thing we watched was Fantasia. So. Oh, no, the last thing we watched was Dumbo. Yeah. Well, Dumbo's also fucking weird as far as pacing Dum- goes. Dumbo's, Dumbo's definitely weirdly paced, but Dumbo does actually have a, a three-act structure. So they're kind no, of no, bad. no. Dumbo has a two-act structure. Two Dumbo's third act is missing. I'll give you two and a half. The montage at the end is like, you know, hoo, hoo, better run through it. <laughs> Dumbo is like, he, uh, act, act two, they did set the tree on fire, and then he leapt from the tree, and then the end of the movie. Yeah. Like, there's no coming down. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's fine. Um, and Bambi is sort of the opposite of that, where it's like, there's no act one, and, well, okay, no, there's an act one, there's not really an act two, there's just fucking about. And then act three is like, oh, uh, some dramatic shit better happen quick, son. Yeah, let's shoot some peanuts at some old people. <laughs> not Dumbo, Bambi. No, no, this is the peanuts at old people st- section of the of this movie. <laughs> okay. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's the technical stuff that I noticed. Um, and also just to know that all the backgrounds are beautiful. Like the even... backgrounds are such a flex in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the backgrounds make a lot of the foreground animation look worse. They or, do a little bit. Like the owl standing on this beautifully shaded tree when he has <laughs> no shading at all on his body. I mean, that's always going to happen with animated movies, though. Because, yeah. like, the, the backgrounds are beautifully painted, the characters can't be, that's just how it is. Yep. The um, King's Quest problem. <laughs> it's not even really a pro. Well, I mean, I guess it's just never been a problem for me because I'm so steeped in 2D animation that that doesn't even scan as a strange thing to me. Yeah. Um... I did notice that the color was all over the goddamn place on the on the cell drawn characters, and I found myself really wanting to know if that was a restoration thing because I assume on Disney Plus we're watching a restored version of this, probably, uh, rather than something that's particularly close to the original. I I assume Disney puts a lot of money into their restorations, but like it's unavoidable. There's going to be something going weird. If anyone's going to do the best restorations, it's going to be Disney, and this might just be as good as they can get. Yeah, so I don't, I don't remember it being like that when I've seen it previously, but it's entirely possible. I just didn't notice, or I went, uh, making movies is hard, and just making, forgave it on the spot. Making movies is super hard. <laughs> super hard. Anyway, but yeah, it's yeah, the colors are all over the place, and the the colors they choose to render the characters in shadow came across as very odd choices to me a lot of the time. Maybe that's a question of like the hardware they had to show it on at the time as well. Mm. Cause, like the shit must have looked really different on nineteen forties projected movie screens. Yeah, and the- compared to my fucking four K TV over there. Yeah, and it's still uh, uh it's still boxed. It's it's still like uh what is it four three proportion. 
Oh yeah, the the ratio is still we haven't got widescreen yet. Screen, yeah, uh, which is a shame because wouldn't you have loved to see like a panorama scale of the the landscapes in this movie? At this moment, you are asking me, do I want more of Bambi? And I... I have to say the answer is no. <laughs> No, not more length, just more breadth. Yeah, but even then, that's more Bambi per minute. <laughs> that's more Bambi per screen. Yeah, the point is that my I, I have enough Bambi. In fact, I really have too much Bambi, which is amazing considering there's barely any Bambi. <laughs> um, 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 eyelash watch is not too Yeah, it's in the old um. hands. <laughs> oh, right. Um... We, we've talked previously about water and the difficulties of animating Ooh, water. Yeah. They're getting better at that. You can see it taking shape. They've got ripples down. Ripples yep. look gorgeous. But uh, this is the first one, aside from Magic Fire in Fantasia, to heavily feature fire. Yeah. And oh boy. Yeah. I mean, they just... Fire is so hard. And they did not know what to do with it. I have some sympathy for the fire and the, uh, the snow. Yeah, what are you going to do? It's actually one of those interesting things where I think that a a less realistic movie with like less detailed animal animation for Bambi would have been better. Oh, if it was more cartoony, then yeah, it would have been easier. Uh, to... Because the fire, effectively, you have like three lineages of animation here, and you have the background, you have the animals, and then you have effects like fire, water, and snow, and like they're all evolving and developing at different different speeds. I thought the snowfall looked amazing. Yes, like that was tight. Yeah, especially because when they did the shot reverse shot, which was all, you know, that was recent technology. Um, <laughs> but the shot reverse shot with the line of action um, between Bambi and his dad, uh, I was watching that snow for repeating patterns. And I was watching that snow to see if they just had the same snow animation over both. And no, it's two different yeah. snow animations over different locations. It's possible with a frame by framer, I might be able to find that, oh yeah, the, the, you know, the second set is reversing the first set or something like that. Because obviously you take the shortcuts if you can. Well, that might be another thing like we observed in Fantasia where it's, that's a <laughs> effect normally used in uh, live films. Yeah. Applied to animation. Yeah. Uh, I can't tell just from looking at it, but I wouldn't be surprised because that was a fuck ton of particles to drop. Yeah. To, just to put on a screen back then. <laughs> so and if they were paint daubs. Like, yeah, they, they could imagine having to paint every one of those over and over again. Well, just technique-wise, what you could have done is have a very large cell with a whole range of paint daubs being flicked onto it from a height, and then you slide it down over another cell. Like, that's a technique, but I actually think this is the period of history where, Amer where Disney are going, we can't afford to do big cells. <laughs> now, the it's Warner Brothers... I don't. I mean, they were they were moving as well, though. Yeah, this was not just sliding a cell over another. No, but you can get that effect with like juddering it side to side or, or back and forth. But the the, the, the greater, uh, yeah, you're right. That technique is you know they still moved, and there are a whole bunch of different ways to get around it. But we're all, I'm also saying like as far if we want to start talking about the technical physical ways they could be doing this, we start having to look at the technical physical limitations of doing this. Like I think this is the period when cellulose that they were using to make the cells was expensive enough that Warner Brothers were wiping them, were cleaning cells. And, you know, that's why an enormous yeah. quantity of the original Warner Brothers cells are just lost. I believe that happens well. Yeah. yeah. Now, that might not be quite yet, because I know that this entry into the war is what made it, like, really kick off. And 42, they weren't in World War II yet. Though, had some impact on the ticket sales, I don't doubt. 
Well, that we're, just, we're putting the same pin in that concept okay. for later. <laughs> all right, then. Now. Uh, That's we... really all I've got to say about this. Aside from that, the, the technical stuff in this film is pretty fucking remarkable. Yeah. Um, uh, the sequence of Bambi spinning around and falling at the same time on the ice. Now, I don't know if this was Milton Carl specifically. Uh, but given that later on... Oh, he was on, definitely one of the lead animators. And, and given that later on, Carl would become known for making characters move on two axes at once in 2D as a great big show-off. <laughs> like, that wouldn't surprise me if that was, you know, that was the kind of stuff that got well, me interested in it. three axes at once. That's oh, yeah, sorry. Like, <laughs> moving up and to the side, that ain't hard. Moving up and to the side while turning, that shit's hard. Yeah, yeah. Um, that might be the thing. Um, so yeah, there's our technical. All right. Do you have some things to say about story and or themes? All right. So, <laughs> first of all, death to fucking kings. <laughs> one... <laughs> Go ahead. Defend this one ahead preemptively. <laughs> well, look, I will say that the the language of king and prince is just generally fucked up here because no one's doing feudal shit. No one is peasants. So, like, who... Who are you a prince compared to? It's weird and strange, and I feel like, as portrayed in this movie, there's not much point saying death to kings. But if what you're going for here is more in the direction of uh, using a movie to convey the idea that you're a king because everyone likes and respects you and you're braver and wiser than everyone else. I'm not breaking out invisible bullets at this point. No, I'm going in a different direction. Okay, Um, what you got? So, um, hi, I was raised in a uh, Protestant fundamentalist uh, Christian church. Noted. And part of that is a real hard-on for kings. The idea of kingship and the royalty and the authority of the king as the head of a church and as a direct chosen by God entity is deeply steeped throughout Protestant. Um, and this is reflected in America's own self-loathing Protestantism, where it is a nation proud <laughs> of having no kings that desperately wants a king. That's, I think, self-evident, yes. And it runs throughout all their cultural mythology, where they will make a point of how such and such wasn't a king and then treat them like a king. <laughs> the, the, the notion here runs down that nature has kings and princes and a royal language and you say there's no peasants but everyone comes to bambi's birth to say hello to the prince they are literally paying fealty and he has done literally nothing yes but i mean in the sense that their lot does not seem to be any worse than his we don't get like oh bambi gets the special grass because he's the prince or anything well of course not because that's the idealistic you know, fairy tale vision of kings where kings don't impose anything bad on anyone. That's pretty much what I was talking about with the the more insidious portrayal of like, you know, oh, why is he the prince? Well, because he's lived longer than everyone else. And wise and brave and he protects us all. And yeah. Oh, well, that's why people are kings. I get it now. Now, in the Calvinistic view of Protestant nature, you might notice that they talk about princes. Even Bambi's dad is a prince. Yes, there's no actual king. Who is the king of nature, Fox? Uh, obviously, it's implied to... Well, Bambi's dad is God, but it, it, I yeah. mean, it's God. It's obviously and, God. And by the way, if Bambi's dad was God, as in the deer of the forest, <laughs> as in the wild or the Celtic <laughs> oh, image of the that would be <laughs> sick as hell. <laughs> Those hunters would be fucked. And it would make the Kingdom Hearts level based on this movie <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> 
Oh god, is there a Sora deal? Oh, I don't care. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Correct response. The point is that the the vision that this presents of nature is that one, kings and princes and royalty are a zero impact positive that everyone recognizes the value of and is just natural. No one needs to explain it. No one needs to justify it. Kings don't do anything, which the Lion King, which we'll get to later, actually kind of tries to fight against of all things. Like the Lion King can be seen as responding to Bambi. Well, the Lion King is very much about like, here is the responsibility you're supposed to have when you're a kid. That's like one of the big themes of it, right? Yeah. Oh, right. The Lion King is very much about, you know, it, these are the responsibilities you're supposed to have when you're a king. It's it's not a fun, fun and games thing. It's a job. And Bambi does not know. <laughs> you're a king. What does that mean? W- weirdly, they actually have something of a degree of a point here, which is the prince of the forest, Bambi's dad, recognizes the presence of hunters bolts and everyone notices wow that big deer that's lasted a long time is bolting everyone else (laughs) bolt like that's almost coherent and that's almost a realistic depiction of like animal behavior as well but it gets framed in terms of a monarchy a chosen rightness and indeed that little quiet tacit well god's at the top of the heap right kind of stuff (laughs) which is very true of 1940s american protestant i do think that the movie makes it very clear he's doing it as a service to the herd. Like, yeah. he is portrayed as someone who watches out for them and lets them know when danger is coming. And the hierarchical nature of the forest is then expressed because when he notices the crows and reacts, then everyone else reacts. <laughs> Even though some people further react to the crows, there is still that genesis point that he is the one who makes everyone else react. Yeah, I mean, really, it's the birds should be the princes of the forest because the birds are the, the first signal in all of these cases. Mm. But birds are too stupid for that, I guess. Birds are assholes, as the opening of Bambi shows. <laughs> They're so dumb and panicky. Yep. Uh, and yeah, that's basically the only big thing I wanted to talk about with this. Just like, hey, check it out. This movie's going, aren't kings great? Fuck you, Walt. <laughs> I wanted to talk about that, but uh, Less more... mean-spiritedly. <laughs> well, no, no, just uh, not from the perspective of royalty, but from the perspective of Jesus Christ, the 1940s had a really tragic idea of what a dad should be. Oh, yeah. Like, Bambi's dad is perfect in this movie, right? This is, he is a nigh unto God ideal of what a father is supposed to be. Yeah, or or rather, to be specific to the listener, what this movie thinks a dad should be. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, this is not what I think a dad should be. I think a dad should maybe try speaking to the other members of his family and maybe even spending time with them. It's revolutionary. Which we cover in the Bambi midquel. <laughs> That's, I mean, it's not a good movie, but I am so fucking here for Patrick Stewart trying to maintain princely dignity <laughs> as Bambi's dad while Bambi is like, but I'd like you to actually be a parent. And Patrick Stewart is like, oh, but I want to be a parent so very much. <laughs> check out, check yeah. out Picard, listener. <laughs> it's not a good movie, but those are some fun characters to actually spend a bit of time with. It, it's a surprise. Unlike the characters in Bambi. It's a surprisingly necessary movie. Like, this movie feels like it's missing a third. <laughs> I don't need bits filled out. No. Necessarily, I am not your fucking lawman who's like, I can't accept that there was a space between Empire and War of the Jedi and I didn't see Han Solo's Carbonite getting transported to Jabba's palace. I have no fucking object permanence. Yeah, the God of the Gaps narrative chunk. <laughs> anyway. It's especially funny in the context of like, 
one of the basic, we're going to talk about basic cinematographic principles again, but like the idea of you get out of a scene as early as you can, you get into a scene as late as you can, you leave out as much as you can get away with not yeah. showing people. How do these people deal with that? And and in this movie, you get to see a very 1940s vision before that idea had been codified. There are lots of scenes that are just kind of meandering. And, and like, with animation, uh, and Dan Floyd's written about... You know, Dan Floyd did a YouTube video about this recently to when this is recorded about um, anticipation. What is it? Where, where oh, you, yes, in animation. If you cut away... Before the action, <laughs> your anticipation should set it up. If you show the wind-up yeah. and then cut before you show what happens, the viewer should understand what happened. Yeah. Unless you're going for some incredibly subtle and hard-to-read uh, body language. Hi, Satoshi Kon. Yeah, I mean, there's a place for that, and you will see it a lot in, yeah, like Satoshi Kon, like subdued anime, uh, as opposed to, you know, action, you know, you're shown in shit or whatever. Which incidentally puts this podcast, I think, three out of five episodes have mentioned Satoshi Khan. Have we? Oh, <laughs> this is becoming a trend. Oh, dude. Uh, still, still talking about Bambi's dad. Sorry, I'm not done with that yet. Okay. Uh, because as you observed in, in your plot summary, that is also the ultimate destiny of Bambi himself. Uh, and they still, they, they bring his dad back in only to be a saviour. Yeah. Not once, but twice. Yeah. Well, I, I guess three times if you count the initial time on the meadow as well. Yeah. Um, and the Bambi exits his own story. Yeah. To become that guy. Like, the end scene, there's no fucking Bambi there. There's no Simba in the background at the end of the Lion King going, Ah, yes, the circle is completed. I have now made an heir. <laughs> uh, you don't even get that. He's just, he's off in the fucking distance, not talking to his girlfriend yep. and his twin babies. Yeah. Because that's how good dads are. It's, I, I realize it's very much of its time, but I'm not, I'm not criticizing Bambi for this so much as I'm criticizing the 1940s for this. Yeah. <laughs> because like, fuck this whole idea. And, on the meadow, when he first meets his dad, uh, there are a lot of shots that I didn't notice before because I lacked the particular time period awareness. Um, but there's a lot of military imagery in that as well. Yeah. When you've got the deer, per like, sometimes they're running around randomly and fighting, but then they do a lot of, like, marches in unison and they come into, like, a standing grid like a bunch of fucking soldiers when this guy shows up. Yeah, and I'd like to point out that we have another comparison point in the Disney movie of a major character arriving on scene and, <laughs> and, and other animals are doing a military formation in front of them. I know where you're going with this. <laughs> And we'll get to that later. <laughs> That's a secret but, weapon that'll come in handy later. <laughs> but yeah, I, I bring that up not because it adds particularly more to this line that we've already gone down, but that's just, that's something I didn't pick up on at the time. Yeah. This movie is very much about dads being emotionally distant warrior figures. I think this movie might predate the air force. Really? <laughs> I think it might. Surely they had an air force by two. Walt Disney was super into getting force and some of his earliest propaganda films were like hey we should have an air force was that trying to promote having an air force yeah. i thought it was just like selling the awesomeness of the air force to the public like we're talking about victory through air power yeah. uh noticeably hey nixie i know you're listening to this at me about this <laughs> yeah like i said i'm i'm a disney fan i'm not an obsessive knows all the trivia Disney fan. I you're also a I cop to that. You're also a skipped the propaganda bits Disney <laughs> fan. 
Actually, yes, because the the reason I saw so much Disney is because my mom was like, these are cool, cute films with fun animals and songs and stuff, and she loves them. Uh, But my mom was like a full-on hippie. She was not going to show me wartime shit, even if it was made by Disney. Not a fucking chance. Exactly. All right. Uh, Now, shall we lightning round? Are we up to the lightning round already? We are. Are we done with our story analysis? Well, as usual, I'm going to open the lightning round with Eyelash Watch. Radio. Uh, eyelashes are all over the shop in this film. Yeah. <laughs> um, which makes sense. Eyelashes go on babies and innocents and sweet little things that haven't had to, like, cleave hard to a gender yet. Um, Hi, Flower. <laughs> I love that Flower keeps them. Thumper appears to lose his when he grows up, and so does Bambi, but Thumper gets to, uh, but Flower gets to keep his, so more power to him. Um, or her. Or them. Uh, well, but yeah. <laughs> I don't think uh, Flower ever declares. It's true. <laughs> um, even Owl can manifest them when he's making goo goo eyes at Bambi, even though his eyes are horrifying. Yeah, deeply. Why well, designed this owl? Deeply upsetting. This is not a, a likable, wise guardian figure owl. This is a horrifying, demon faced owl. Creepy human legs. Yep. I don't like Owl. Uh, all right, uh, m- moving on, moving on. Um, so, uh, for a movie that's famous for being about the tragic loss of a mother to the point where I didn't know anything else in this movie happened, (laughs) uh, mums in this movie suck ass. (laughs) Thumper's mother is a bit... Thumper's mother is a Protestant skull. Yeah. She, she exists, and this is more (laughs) of that protestantism permeating nature the idea that oh no rabbits need to be told to have a balanced diet no your kids need to be told that because you're giving them awful food and you're a bad person so let me see if i've correctly interpreted this this is because controlling and dealing and raising the children is entirely her job we never see them in the proximity of the father yeah but everything she tells them to do she defers to the authority of the father yes like she uses him to make them do what she wants. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And the idea of this is natural and this is, uh, like, the fact that it's all done through aphorism indicates that these are phrases of wisdom that have been passed around, which suggests that every rabbit yeah, needs these, to these be... these bunnies are getting catechized. Yeah, and that rabbits need to be told to all the clover. Like, no, they're <laughs> rabbits, you tool. Um, and similarly, Bambi's mum is a lamp. She's nothing. Yeah. She's a vague generality of niceness. She, The closest she comes to having a personality is when she takes Bambi to the meadow, but doesn't warn him on the way. Let's... And that's a matter of like, oh, she's a bit absent-minded. Well, there are... I mean, that's a that's a story thing. That's just... It would be super boring if she took him all this way and spent the entire walk explaining, for our sake. Yeah. So we knew she'd done it. It wouldn't have been good. Yes. I'm willing to let that pass. Absolutely. But at the same time... It does mean that you just, you know, gave her a pass on the one thing that looked like having a personality. That didn't look like a personality to me. That just looked like a mistake. As with Snow White, I'm being incredibly (laughs) generous. What you don't know is it was the heart of Bambi's mother was in the Huntsman's box. See? All the Disney stuff is connected. One day we look forward to the day when we launch a a rocket ship and send some of our scientists to a woman. What knowledge will they glean? (laughs) What possible facts could be understood from the understandings of a woman? Feline. Gosh. Ah, yes. Your ideal girlfriend. (laughs) You, but a bit of a dick. She's... Okay. Uh, Actually, I'm going to file this under my usual observation of weird pronunciation. Um... 
because there are no particular words that are bizarrely pronounced in this, but the voices of the child characters are, I assume, of their time. But, like, to me, they are just shrieky and disturbing. And Feline's laugh is is definitely the worst offender. And I it's think a little upsetting. Her actor also voices a couple of the girl bunnies. Yeah. Because um, they sure sound the same when they laugh. And I, I'd love to know if that's, like, actual children in the studio being told to do the giggles. The voices are incredibly samey when they're all young. Yeah, also very true. They're... Which like, I think is part of why Flower stands out, because Flower sounds different. And Thumper's kind of got a bit of an accent, but it's not strong enough to no. be consistently different. Yeah. <laughs> which, is, which is great, because I really kind of had this vision from reading books and reading phonetic dialogue of Thumper, that Thumper kind of had a really broad, I am walking here kind of voice, <laughs> oh, really? which would have been the coolest thing to you tune You thought he had, like, Timothy's in. accent from yeah. Thumper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> why are Yoda? <laughs> See, I read him as definitely more southern. What's your like, hibernating he's got voice? a little bit of a drawl going on. Yeah. But once again, it's not pronounced enough to be consistently interesting or anything. It's... Not consistently interesting or anything well, okay. is the <laughs> subtitle of this movie. Not consistently anything. <laughs> consistently good looking. Model, model sheets are always on point. Um, it's Disney, man. Model sheets are God. But yeah, I, I did have noted down that um, the mother is basically um, Gwen Stacy. Only interesting oh. because she dies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and, and by the way, you want an example of how unconnected this mother is, despite the fact that being the mother is her job. Uh, she doesn't teach the kid to talk. He, he has to pick that up from his friends. Yeah. 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 So also I'm pretty sure baby deer don't have problems walking. Uh like I I mean that's it's obviously they just wanted to do cute spindly legged baby deer stuff for mm-hmm. 20 minutes but and boy did they. <laughs> so they love doing it. And you know as as a ballet goes, it's a pretty well choreographed ballet. Um on the similar note, um there are there's possibility for there to be story beats that are a little mismatched to the animals in question because the book this is based on is Austrian. And I saw that. Apparently yeah. he is a specific type of deer even, but it's not the type of deer he was in the book. Yeah, he's a he's a North American... Well, that's one of my notes here in the lightning round is, this is a super American forest. <laughs> it really is. Like, did you see that I, what I assume was supposed to be opossums? That's yeah. not what they look like, no. but hey. No. Uh, I, yeah. I do like imagining like a real, like an accurate natured opossum in those scenes. They're just like, ah! Scream. I'm a hairy alligator. Piss off! I'm here to scream at my own ass. That's so cute. Um, <laughs> on the other hand, if they had set this in an actual European forest, um, I want you to consider what happens the first time the prince of the forest meets a boar. My <laughs> the- prince, I didn't say I was the. I, I'm not saying I'm in charge of the forest. Boris, prince of European forests. <laughs> no, boars don't believe in princes. Ah, uh, death to kings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Resist et mordes. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> shit. Okay, so... Oh, yes, extremely American forest. Uh, what else have we got here? Um, I did think it was interesting that when the deer uh, that you noted had that very human behavior of, like, militarizing around the prince, when they were afraid, they all took on a much dumber face. Basically, fear dehumanized them. Which is a thing you will see in other movies that deal with the idea of nature and humanity clashing, like Mononoke Hime, a good movie. <laughs> it is a very accurate depiction of of animals 
it like animals do stupid things when they're scared, or just when they just when the <laughs> not, instinct kicks not in. Not human animals, just animals. Yeah, but also <laughs> uh, when you're talking about animals uh, that, that aren't humans, instinctual kicking. We had this coming with the dog, where when the dog wants to chase something, the part of the brain that listens for treats is not there. Ha! Yes, we have a whippet just for reference. Uh, look them up if you if you want to see exactly how hard it is to stop him from chasing things. Um, I believe this is not something I've noticed in the past. And it's not something I'm 100% confident in, but listening to it again, I'm pretty sure that the weird apocalyptic love song that plays in the meadow, <laughs> yeah, which, like, I, I kind of love that piece of music. It's just so weird. Like, it's, it's a lush romantic number, but it sounds so, like, dangerous and stormy and, like, what the hell is going on here? But listening to that again today... I'm pretty sure that's based on the music that plays the first time they're in the meadow. Possibly. Where they're running around uh, and, you know, frolicking and shit. Uh, but it, but transposed to a minor key, I do not have the musical expertise to be totally confident of that. But it really sounds like a similar structure to me. If it's not like a direct, uh, 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 you know, sidestep of it, I feel like it's got to be a reference. Hey, sideways, at me about this. Oh my god. Don't let sideways see me. I'm such an amateur. <laughs> Um, uh, so at this point, my notes get a little fractious, so I will just start reading them around, <laughs> them verbatim. Connected together with string on a pinboard. Uh, flowers unsettlingly human baby feet. <laughs> baby skunk feet are kind of humanish, aren't they? With giant honking claws well, on them. Well, that's true. I guess he wouldn't have looked non-threatening enough if he had giant honking claws. I would love to see. Like, that's the thing I love about, like, really well done anthro animals and there are these things that remind you no this thing gets its own food <laughs> yeah 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 i mean I, I suppose for the same reason as the opossums were going to try and bite bambi's face off <laughs> and that's why this forest doesn't have badges <laughs> badger will mess a deer up oh i think i'm actually out of lightning around stuff i just have you know continued uses of al's weird human legs okay uh, in which case i would have two other points i want to throw Please out continue throw out there uh oh wait i do have another one sorry okay uh this may be the same as yours but uh hunters in this universe are idiots absolute just idiots. completely brainless like i'm i'm no fan of hunting let me just get that out there mm -hmm. uh we're not going to talk about that at length because that's an argument for another time but the hunters in this movie are cartoon hunters in that they are indiscriminate murderers with indiscriminate hell beasts they send into the forest to terrorize animals and they just take pot shots at things at random. They have a point-click murder stick. <laughs> they do. It's it's absurd. And they don't seem interested in, like, retrieving anything that they no. kill. I think they're just, like, if if we're going to try and uh, logicify this, it'd be like, I guess they're drunk and just, you know, joy-shooting at things. Because they're about that smart. Uh, I'm not a gun expert. Again, hey, Nixie, feel free I, to yeah, at me about this. Don't do guns. Um, But... Particularly, I am aware that when it comes to hunting, you need specific ammunition in a shotgun <laughs> to successfully deal with particular types of oh, prey. right. They're hunting birds at the start, aren't they? Yes. <laughs> Seamlessly convert to a deer hunt. And you have bird shot, which is <laughs> lots of small pellets designed to go into a huge area that really what it wants to do is break wings and it wants to ground a bird. Whereas what you would use to hunt a deer is otherwise known as deer slugs which is basically one giant hunk of metal the size of your thumb that you are hoping to punch into the side of a big broad animal and the side 
you shoot for the sides of a deer because if it's coming at you head on, you, you, you priority on moving. You have other business because even if you shoot it, it's going to keep coming at you, and antlers are not for show. So there's a whole range of reasons why, like, you don't shoot at a bird one second and then at a deer the next second. It's just not sensible. Similarly, uh, they have dogs which are just like slavering monster beasts. Oh, yeah. Uh, which, like, I mean, the point of going hunting with a pack of dogs is that you use the dogs to drive something out so you can shoot it. Yep. You don't just go, hey, hey dogs, go have your fun, go fuck up some animals. Unless, by the way, you're hunting birds, in which case you would probably have a retriever, which would go and get the thing that you had downed. Well, yeah, okay, you've got, okay, you've got dogs that are supposed to bring back something you kill, and you've got dogs that are supposed to flush things out for you, and dogs that are do both. And there is the third category, which is the dogs that are meant to fight a thing. These are not elk hounds. These are not ridgebacks. These are not the dogs designed to take down these animals. But even those dogs... They are designed for high-speed hunts, where you go alongside them on, like, a fucking horse or something, and you chase down an animal. Yeah. Once again, you do not just send the dogs off by themselves to fuck some shit up. To get randomly killed by an avalanche. To get, yeah, those dogs are incredibly fucking dead. I'm glad All they those, were, yeah. I'm glad they were clearly not real dogs and were, in fact, horrifying hell demons, because, like, I'm the number of them that got antlered and kicked in the throat and... I'm reasonably certain that... Those dogs were extras from Fantasia. They had <laughs> they that come same. From the night on. Uh, yeah. Uh, oh, what's it fucking called? I ruined it. Bald Mountain. Bald Mountain. They come from the night on Bald Mountain sequence, I guess. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, uh, and now just my final notes. <clears throat> All the grown voices for the animals are douchey. They are douchey and weirdly mismatched. Yep. Uh, and also Thumper is an incel. <laughs> I mean, they're all kind of incel when. <laughs> Fucking Al is an incel, and he infects all the young men with it. Well, you know, Thump- Thumper starts out acting like, "Oh, I don't need. Oh, you know, let's 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 not go on with this whole Twitterpated thing. This is a bad idea." And the second he gets flirted with, yeah, there he goes. That's all three of them. Yeah, that's the point of the fucking sequence. Well, the flower doesn't go like, "Oh no, that's a terrible idea." Thumper's like, "Oh, my friend says that's a scary thing. I will trust my friend." Well. Sure, but they all do the, well, girls are dumb, I'm not gonna wind up with a girl, and then, like, literally three seconds pass. Yes. Buy from the movie forever. That part's interesting, (laughs) isn't it? Like, I, you know, it, one assumes it is intended as a light-hearted, haha, boys are so silly, thinking that the correct response to the idea of romance is to fucking incel it up all of a sudden but then you literally have the characters pair off and stop being characters in this movie they go away forever the thing they're afraid of happening happens immediately yeah it's not it's not a boys are silly everything is fine it's a no actually you will ignore your friends and betray them yep (laughs) it's not comfortable um now one last thing which i originally brought up in an edited sequence um about the points where foley just drops out of this movie oh yes that's that should be in my lightning round go for it oh well i really like the part where they have uh orchestra subbing in for sound effects but uh considerably more so than that where they have voices subbing in for for sound effects I love the fucking Stormwind Choir they got going there. Oh, yes. Doing, like, howling winds in the form of uh, uh, of incredibly thick 40s vocals. And I, I, when I heard that, I 
when you said vocals subbing in, I thought of the choir as being orchestral. So I didn't even think of that as that. I mean, they are essentially. They're not, certainly in that instance, they're not using words. They're just making a noise. And they're the non-diegetic sound of the soundtrack. Oh, very much so. So, yeah, I think that's Bambi. Oh, you weren't going to say how you felt about the sound effect thing? Like, you found it a bit more jarring, right? Yeah, but I also found it jarring in that way of like, well, of course, this is going to be differently edited. This was edited before everything I know about editing got written. So, yeah, it's going to be weird. I'm so, trying to be a bit less down on it than I was. <laughs> but you don't think it was just being like an artistic choice that's valid? I mean, It's I okay think, to say you didn't like it. Well, I mean, I think that um, I also got a different perception of this because I feel like the timing on, say, symbols was a little wrong. Ah. But you, Oh, that would ruin it. You didn't? So, yeah, like, in, in my case, I'm looking at this and going, even if it was an interesting thing to try, I don't think they did a job, and that's foremost to me, whereas you're saying, I think that this was executed in a way that what I focus on is the idea. Well, I I definitely liked it as a choice, but I also, I either didn't notice those desyncs or I gave them a pass because I felt like the audio was desyncing a little bit in a couple of places because our connection is not, uh, let's say it's under a bit of strain right now. Yeah, lots of, <laughs> lots of people using the lots internet. Lots of people watching some streaming. Um, now, <laughs> by the way, that, that technique of dropping all the foley out and just using orchestration and visuals, like, absolutely, that's a fantastic technique. Lots of great movies do that. The opening minutes of Up does that. And that's one of those things that people just point to and go, oh yeah, that's really good. It's one of the best bits of cinema I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm not saying it's a bad technique and if anything, it's interesting to look at it from, yeah, here's this 70 years before up. <laughs> so yeah, I was a little harsh on it in my initial thing because I was trying to go for a cheap laugh. Then again though, um, super commonplace in, in stuff like ballet because of course yep. you're not going to make meaningful sound effects no. uh, on that kind of scale. Yeah, indeed, there is a contentious question about whether or not opera should have Foley. <laughs> well, there you go. It's not Foley, is it? <laughs> no. But yeah, um, beyond that, that's pretty much all my notes, aside from occasionally sarcastically quoting the movie back at itself. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Is that just like, that's the entirety of your note? Yeah. Like, oh, movie, but you said thing. Yeah. <laughs> all oh, right. And finally... We learned how to draw a deer falling over, and by God, we're going to use that knowledge. By God, we're going to do it. <laughs> Just stilty legs everywhere. I can understand the appeal. Like, I've seen my dog try and get up in a hurry. Yeah, it's funny. It, it is charming to watch. All right, then. And, like, if you found these animals cute, boy, you were going to enjoy watching them do this for, what is this? It's not a lot more than an hour, is it? 72 like 70, minutes. Yeah. And now, we have thoroughly picked over this product as an artistic work, <laughs> let us now regard it as a commercial thing. Oh, sure, yes. Well, as we all know, in a capitalist society, this is the only way we can truly see whether a piece of art was good or bad. <laughs> so, Talon, how much do you think Bambi made, and how much do you think it brought in? So, I have the notion that most of Disney's movies at this point, up until Dumbo, were money burners. And I wouldn't be surprised if Bambi was also a money burner. Well, remember this was in... This would have been in production while Dumbo was, because Dumbo was only one year prior. Yeah, um... And I don't imagine this movie would have been suitably, like, amazing because all the problems for Dumbo, like, the war, were going to be problems here. 
So More so, one would expect. Yeah, I'm going to take a guess that this movie probably only just covered its budget. Um, and I'm going to guess it had a big hecking budget. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. So you remember that Dumbo cost a little under a million? Yep. It was like market, like Fantasia was like two and a half or something. Yeah. To, to, again, in Fantasia. Boy, did they put a lot of money in. In Fantasia's defense, they had to reinvent yep. stereo uh, um, sound. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, all things considered, absolutely. Uh, and Bambi is no Fantasia, but it sure did come in at like one and a... 1.7 million Ouch. to make, which is still really hefty for its time. Like, you're right in that this is the era of films that almost ran Disney out of uh, out of successfully making films, and Dumbo was regarded as like, thank God we got out something affordable that people like watching. So I'm going to guess this was, this brought in like 1.9 million in its first run. 1.64. It came in below its budget. Ooh. <laughs> that must have stung. Because this really is an art piece of a film, and yeah. to have it return so poorly. When well, capitalism has spoken. Bambi sucks. And there's no, and there's no home theater at this point. There's no TV broadcast. There's no way to recoup that. If it doesn't make money in the theaters in the forties, it's not going to make a movie. By the way, that consistently scores aggregated ratings of ninety to ninety-five. Why? But it <laughs> sucks. Sucks. Totally sucks. Um. It it has, of course, like all Disney films, had a tremendously long tail. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at, at the time it was technically a failure. I wouldn't be surprised if it's one of those movies that's made like a hundred million dollars in just long tail effect. <laughs> I don't know about that, but there's an estimate there from, um, oh God. Was it Box Office Mojo? I think it was the forties or something. Okay. Um, by 43, uh, there's an estimate that says it made about one and a half million in rentals. Hey, yeah, that's not so bad. Which seems impressive. Like it must have been hard to rent a film in forty three. Uh, uh, that's that's um movie theaters renting as part of a package. Is the, that what domestic rentals means? In the forties, yeah. Like they, the they word weren't... domestic is used, and it doesn't normally refer to businesses. Yeah, no, it's a. It, this is the bundling period of Hollywood. <laughs> oh, okay. This is back when studios owned movie theaters. Ah, oh, okay. All right. All Was right. this era fantastically corrupt? Why? <laughs> I have no doubt. Yeah. All right. So, well, yeah. I mean, it's obviously a financial success by now, but who knows how long it took to actually make a good return on what they spent on it. Yeah. Because, oof. Oof, indeed. Oof. Well, the good news is that I'm sure it's going to be followed up with a roustabout success that makes them pots of money any day now. <laughs> so what's up next, Fox? Ah, uh, well, uh, about that... You remember how after Fantasia we talked about Disney doing some more movies that were just sort of compilations of stuff? Uh, so up next is Saludos Amigos. We get to watch a bird that wants to fuck a woman. He does want to fuck. <laughs> and uh, as, as long as Jose the Parrot is around, he's not going to get to either. So we're both going to be a fair way out of our depth, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll say what's worth saying to hear from us. <laughs> See you all next time. Bye.
there's a lot of cinematography. Blah, 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 blah. There's a lot of cinematographic techniques. Nailed it in one. Yeah. Which... <laughs> First time every time. Damn it. That's what they call me. <laughs> um... They call you damn it. <laughs> mm. Uh, no, there's a lot of cinema techniques and storytelling techniques that look really weirdly basic and go on. I can, <laughs> I can edit around this, go on. Oh no, I was trying to... They call me One Take Jaeger. <laughs> it's just that you skipped over saying it that time and I know. it just sucked out like a big... <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so funny, I'm sorry. Here we I'm go. I'm sorry, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> okay. Here we go. Third time. Nothing but that. There's a bunch of cinema... (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it wasn't my fault. (laughs) It was. You you gave me a look. I'm not even going to look at you this time. I'm going to hold. There's a range of cinematographic techniques. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I think it was very funny. Hi there. Hi there, people who hung around for the stinger. <laughs> time for an outtakes reel. Oh, yeah. This was very funny at the time. You had to be there. Yeah. You're basically watching me struggle with a complicated word. <laughs> I mean, you got it right, but now it's funny. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. I'm just going to just gonna adjust my seating on the yoga ball so as not to make a squeaky ball fart on the... 